Our current sermon series is three things to do before you're done. We've talked about praying extravagantly, giving extravagantly, and today we ask the question, what does it look like to forgive extravagantly? Three things to do before you're done. What does it look like to forgive extravagantly before you leave this world, before you're done, before you kick the bucket, before you're dead? This series hits a particular tone with me, hits a chord. I'm celebrating an anniversary in a few days. A one-year anniversary. The anniversary of my near-fatal heart attack. It's okay. I'm all right. The doctors figured out what was going on. I had a defect going on, and it got clogged, and they fixed it. And I've got another 40 years, the doctors say, as long as I don't eat too many bacon cheeseburgers. So, 20 years? (laughs) It all started... About a year before I had my heart attack, I had a hard time breathing as I went upstairs and did different physical activities, and it kind of got worse and worse, and they kept finding fluid in my lungs, and I had a whole team of doctors trying to figure out what's going on, and they couldn't figure it out. It wasn't COVID, it wasn't cancer, it wasn't an infection, it wasn't anything. They didn't know what it was. Over time, I started to feel a little better, got out and about a little more, and Thanksgiving was coming, and my parents came into town in St. Louis, you know how Thanksgiving is. It's a pretty big meal, and you got to work your way up to it. You know, make some room. So we decided a couple days before Thanksgiving to go get one-pound pastrami sandwiches, okay? And the deli was just down the street, so we decided to walk to it because we needed exercise, right? And as we walked up the hill to the deli, I start having shortness of breath again. I'm like, oh, man, it's starting again. But then my chest started to hurt, like a vice around it. And my arms started to hurt. And I ignored it because I really wanted a pound of pastrami. (laughs) When we got to the deli, I sat down, calmed down, and the pain didn't go away, but that pastrami was really good. The irony is not lost on me that I had a near-fatal heart attack while eating a pound of red meat. Typical me. Denied what was going on, but by the next morning, we went into the ER, and then in a few hours, I was on an operating table having emergency surgery. Had to be awake for it. And as I laid there, pretty sure I was about to die, kept thinking about everything I had left undone before I was done. The things I had said, the things I had left unsaid, the things I did, the things I didn't do. The times I didn't really forgive, and the times I never asked for forgiveness. I started to think about how I never really truly forgave certain people, other Christians, left those relationships completely broken. And I started to realize I'm a lot like St. Peter. I do exactly what he did. 
I draw lines in the sand of forgiveness. Let's go back to our verse for the day. Verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Okay, whenever you see Peter in the Gospels, ask yourself, how am I like Peter? Because you probably are just like him. I know I am. And if you're like me, when a fellow Christian sins against you, the first few times you kind of find it easy to forgive them. But if they keep doing the same thing, or even maybe even different things, by the time you hit the fifth or sixth time, you start to wonder, yeah, where do I draw the line? When do I stop forgiving them and send them on their way? Peter probably had the other disciples in mind. Twelve guys on the road with Jesus all jockeying for his attention, trying to be the greatest in the kingdom. Twelve guys camping for over two years. You bet there were issues. So as Peter says, hey, do I forgive seven times? He's kind of puffed up around the other disciples, and they're thinking the same thing. When do we stop forgiving Peter? This is you and me. Peter thinks he's being generous with forgiving seven times. But Christ gives a response in verse 22 that's a little bit scary and beautiful. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times 7, 490 times The point is not a number of times. Jesus is using a rhetorical device here. He's saying you don't ever stop forgiving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this is the part of the sermon where your inner Peter is probably trickling to the service and you're thinking, yeah, but there's got to be a point. Like, what about when they stop acting like a Christian? What about when they stop asking for forgiveness? Do I still forgive? you got to remember this this passage is part of a larger discourse see peter and the other disciples had been kind of working their way up to this point and it all started with them trying to figure out who's the greatest among the disciples who's the greatest in the kingdom jesus and jesus pulls a child aside and says this this right here is the greatest in the kingdom Now, the point Christ is trying to make is this. Children during the ancient times were not someone you put on a pedestal. You might love your own child, but in general, you didn't try to be like a child. They were weak. They were dependent. They were vulnerable. They were needy. And the point Christ is making is this. The greatest in the church, the greatest among your brothers and sisters in Christ, the one who gets the most lavish gifts from Christ and the most attention is the biggest sinner. The biggest sinner in your midst is the greatest in the kingdom because they are the most dependent upon grace and forgiveness and their father. Peter still doesn't get it. The disciples still don't get it. We still don't get it. So Jesus explains to them that what if a believer won't repent? 
And you go to them with multiple believers and say, hey, look at this sin that's causing you harm. And they won't repent. And the disciples are like, finally, he's going to tell us when we can kick out some of those other disciples. Because you know that Judas guy. And Jesus says, yeah, you get to that point, you treat them like a tax collector, like a Gentile, like a prostitute. And the disciples are like, finally, excommunication, that's what we've been waiting for this entire time. Except then you need to remember, how did Christ treat tax collectors, Gentiles, prostitutes, unbelievers? He sat with them. He ate with them. He walked with them. He ministered to them. He gave them limitless gospel. So when your brothers and sisters in Christ cross some type of threshold, you actually give them even more grace and gospel. I don't know about you, but I am just not capable of this. I'm not. Jesus finally hits it home with a story. You've got a boss who loaned his servants money. He loaned his employees money. And one of them, he loaned millions of dollars. And it's time to pay up. And the employee says to the boss, hey, I need more time. Please, 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 please. Don't throw me into prison. I need more time to pay you back. This is us. We owe millions and we're begging for more time. We're not done. We say to God, give me more time. I have not finished anything. And Christ says to us, your debts are fully forgiven because I know no matter how much time I give you, you're not going to pay them off. And then the boss in the story sends them on their way, and that servant goes off and finds another servant who owes him a few hundred bucks, and he physically assaults him and has him thrown into jail because he won't pay him back, even though he's begging for more time. This is also us. This happens all the time. I heard it in the news the other day. There was a, a boss who needed a kidney transplant, and one of their employees graciously stepped up to donate their kidney so their boss could get one. But there were complications with the operation, and it took them a while to recover. And when they did recover, they got back to work, and there were still complications, and you know what happened? It was affecting their work, so the boss fired them. Who does that? Seriously, who does that? You and I do. We do that. When you heard that story just now, you were thinking, that lady deserves some punishment. You weren't thinking, forgive that boss. We do it all the time. It's our natural instinct. The fact is, our forgiveness has limits. It's flawed. But with Christ, there are no limits to his forgiveness. And there are no strings attached. And we need that. We should forgive like Christ forgives. We should forgive sinners who keep sinning. Sinners who don't really say they're sorry. Sinners who don't really fully ask for forgiveness and don't mean it. We should fully forgive all their debts. Not come up with a payment plan. Or take away the forgiveness if they 
sin again against us. Heaps of forgiveness. Months after my heart attack, not too long ago, I'm lying in bed with my son, my five-year-old boy Andy, trying to get him to fall asleep. And as I'm lying in bed, I'm having flashbacks to being on the operating table. My heart starts to race, I start to tear up a little bit, and I start to go to the same place I went to on the operating table, which is this, if I die, I've left too much undone. I've left too much forgiveness on the table. I haven't asked for forgiveness enough. There are relationships that are still broken. And I don't know if Andy really was picking up on it, but he looked at me, patted me on the chest, and said, hey, Dad. I said, yeah, Andy. We're friends, right? I said, yeah, we're friends. And he goes, but you're my dad. I go, yeah, I'm your dad, and we're friends. And he goes, okay. And I'm still a little distracted. A little bit later, he goes, hey, Dad. I go, yeah, Andy. When I'm older, we'll be best friends, right, Dad? I go, yeah. When you're older, we'll be best friends. And that's when he starts to get my attention. I start to just cry a little bit more. I think he notices, he pats me on the chest and he says, Hey, Dad, when I'm really old, though, you're going to die. I said, Yeah, we won't be friends anymore after you die. He's going, Yeah, that's true. But it's a long day from now. And he sits and he thinks, and I'm starting to bawl a little bit. He pats me one more time and goes, Hey, Dad, it's okay. When Jesus comes back, he will bring you back to life and we will be best friends forever. A five-year-old. I didn't teach him that. He must have soaked it up sitting in church. It's beautiful. It was the gospel I needed in that moment. It was the good news I needed that no matter what I leave on the table when I die, when I'm done, all the things I leave unfinished, Christ finishes them. Everything I leave unforgiven or not fully forgiven, his limitless, extravagant forgiveness covers it. And he will come back one day, make all of us new, and all of us brothers and sisters in Christ will live together, not only with our best friends, but with our best friend in limitless, extraordinary forgiveness. So my challenge for you today isn't to find one person and fix a problem of forgiveness. My challenge for you is to rest in Christ's perfect, extraordinary, limitless forgiveness for you. And as you rest in that forgiveness, knowing that your forgiveness has limits and his is limitless, you proclaim that forgiveness, Christ's forgiveness, to others. Because yours isn't enough. Amen? Please bow your heads and join me in prayer. Lord, we know that our repentance, our apologies, our attempts at forgiveness always have limits and boundaries that we draw. Please work your extravagant and limitless forgiveness in, through, and despite us. Help us to rest in the good news of your forgiveness for us and others. Treat us like you treat tax collectors. 
Spend time with us, share meals with us, walk alongside us as you work your gospel in and through us so that we can forgive others in the same scandalous way that you forgave us. Amen. Please stand and join me in the Lord's Prayer. And as we say that prayer, I really want you to think about and focus on and meditate on the forgiveness in this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.